Hey friends, welcome back to the table. It's Michaela Bell, your host, and I am going to start off this podcast episode with a confession. I had to re-record this intro because during the original recording of this podcast, somehow, someway, even though I checked everything beforehand, my podcast mic was actually not plugged in. And so it ended up recording my audio from my computer, which I was kind of far away from. And honestly, it's not the best audio. And it made me so sad. I thought about, should I re-record the whole thing? Should I re-record just my audio parts of it? And I thought, you know what? It's okay sometimes for things to be imperfect because I don't want to ruin the integrity of this conversation because this one means a lot to me. Today's episode is all about being black in America in 2020 and how racism is very much alive and well. Now, obviously, if you know me or you've seen the cover art of this podcast, you know that I am a white woman. So I don't know what it's like being black in America. Um, But I've asked a lot of questions to a lot of my friends because I believe that asking questions and having authentic conversations and being real and being able to say, I don't know what it's like from your perspective, uh, but I, I want to hear what it is like from you. So I invited a new friend to join me today at the table to have a real life conversation about racism in America and what it's like being black and being a black pastor today. During this recording, Ahmad Arbery's murder is a very hot topic, but there are more stories like this happening throughout the country that don't have video proof. And if Ahmad was white and the guys that murdered him were black, they would have been arrested immediately. I think we can pretty much all agree on that. And that's not okay. Like, it's not okay. And we need to be talking about it. I may not be able to change everyone's opinion, but I believe it's important for more people to start having conversations. This episode will give you some practical tips, no matter what color you are, no matter what your background is, about how to have healthy conversations around race. We're going to talk about what you can do about it. And also, I wanted him to give you real life stories to help you gain a new perspective and a new understanding. Because when you lack understanding, you lack compassion. And I want us as a nation, as a people, as a community, as a country to be able to have more compassion. And it starts with gaining understanding. So that's the goal of this podcast. I hope that you enjoy this as much as I did recording it. So let's dive in. Welcome to the table, pull up a chair, because today's conversation is one that I've been really looking forward to having, because while it might be a topic that as some people can perceive it to be like, quote unquote, uncomfortable, I think it's very necessary and often the most vital piece of creating lasting change or change of any kind is lives in the uncomfortable. And I want us to be able to go there because relationships and healthy community is worth it. And I feel like God has called us to that. Today's guest is Vernon Gordon. Vernon is the pastor of the Life Church in Richmond, Virginia. And in addition to pastoring, Vernon is a member of Faith Leaders Partnership, which meets monthly with local law enforcement to find new ways to bridge the gap between community and policing. He's also the founder of Unique Walk, which is an outreach network designed to expose youth and young adults to the joy in serving others. And I personally 
love that because as a mom of a young little lady, I see the benefits of cultivating a serving spirit in young people because they can be very powerful um, hands and feet to God's work at every single age. Vernon is also an author. He has a book called In the Beginning, A Head Start to Finishing Strong. Um, And In the Beginning is uh, an on-the-go handbook designed to navigate through 12 foundational principles of faith that can really easily fit into your everyday life. And I read that the second edition is um, has like chapter devotionals and prayers to help readers of all stages to kind of find their footing in their faith journey. So whether you're starting, maybe you're new to your faith or you're starting over or looking for a fresh start in your Christian faith journey, in the beginning is your head start to a strong finish. So with all of that being said, I'm so fortunate to be able to welcome uh, this man to the podcast. Vernon, welcome to the table. Well, well, I am grateful to be here, man. That intro has a little bit of pressure on me. Uh, so <laughs> I've never, never heard it all like that. but um, yeah, I did a little uh, research. Yeah, but extremely grateful and excited to be at the table and looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so pumped. So I always kind of start with, if we were going to grab a, a real life table for two, what would be your favorite place? Like, where would we go in the Richmond area? Hands down. All right. You got to, if you're going to come to Richmond, we got to get some soul food. We got to get some soul food from a spot called Mama J's. We got to go to Mama J's. So we head on down to Second Street, downtown Richmond. Okay. Uh, uh, Tell them Vernon sent you and we'll hang out at Mama J's. Perfect. Okay. So that's what we're going to imagine ourselves there at a table for two right there. So what's the environment like there in the restaurant? Oh, man. It's, uh, it's, it's a small, intimate place, um, you know, family friendly. Everybody kind of knows everybody a little bit in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, six degrees of separation. Always a little bit of music playing in the background. So every now and then you might hear a little uh, uh, gospel, hip hop, jazz. Uh, I mean, you know, Jill Scott, you just don't know what you're going to hear, but it definitely is a representative of, of just a cultural upbringing uh, for mm-hmm. me and um, and nothing like some good fried fish and some mm-hmm. lemon cake yeah. to uh, just kind of a little bit of collard greens on the side. I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, it's just you can smell it, you know. Uh, it's so good. I, now I, now I got to go there. So I know, right? <laughs> Awesome. So cool. I love, you know, one of the reasons why I called it a table for two is I, number one, I love food. Like (laughs) I love (laughs) and I really believe that the best conversations happen around a table. Oh yeah. And, and, and more like authentic, intimate conversations happen, happen there. So that's kind of why I called this, this podcast that, and that I try to kind of create that that space here. So I'm excited that I'm excited to have some good food. (laughs) And when I come to Richmond, that's where we're going to go. Absolutely. I promise you, I know it for a fact. I'm sure your sister knows it. I'm telling you, this is, this is the place to go. So cool. So speaking of my sister, one of the the second questions I always you know talk about or ask is a little bit about our meet cute, which is the film term for how people meet in a movie. So essentially, how we got connected. Um, so I'll explain that my sister, she's a travel nurse, and she was she had an assignment in in Richmond, and um, she was going to a church. I can't even remember the name of the church she was going to, but you came, and you were a guest preacher one Sunday and it was like toward the end of her assignment 
but her and her roommate, they're traveling, travel nursing together. They're like, oh my goodness, you're, he's so good. And my sister called me and she's like, you got to look up this guy. His name is Vernon. He reminds me of Dr. Darius. And I was like, yo, if he reminds you of anything of my pastor, like, I'm going to listen. So I, I looked you up immediately and, um, and I was just so excited. You can, in just in the way that you preach, like you can feel like your heart and your love for, for God and, and the gospel and speaking truth. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then the other day I saw your IGTV and, um, my sister actually sent me a message. She's like, I really feel like that would be a great podcast conversation. And I thought, yeah, you're so, so right. And I believe that IGTV was called being a black pastor in America. Is that what the title was? Yeah. Uh, one of them. So I posted three and mm-hmm. actually just posted a fourth on yesterday about what now, but mm-hmm. yeah, I did black pastor in America, our family experience being black in America. And then I did another one about uh, just my personal experience being black in America. Yep. Mm-hmm. So good. And, um, you know, I, I really just wanted to be able to have, have this conversation, uh, with you today about, you know, what it's like being black in America and racism is, you know, alive in 2020, which is, you know, it's the unfortunate reality. And so I wanted to just be able to have like an open, honest conversation about it. And, and two, like being, being a white woman and kind of being able to ask questions and ask for understanding and be able to stand and use my voice in a way that I really feel like God is calling me to use it. And so, uh, but before we really dive into that, I just want, I just want everybody to learn a little bit more like about you. So tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, obviously you're a pastor and kind of what was that journey like to getting there? Absolutely. Well, I'll start with the fact that I did not have a career goal of being a pastor. Some people are career pastors. Maybe they grew up with a long line of pastors. That was not my story. You know, um, for me, um, I was, uh, my, I think my journey with, you know, where I'm at now really starts with uh, my medical journey. When I was 10 years old, I was diagnosed with cancer. And so mm-hmm. I had two tumors. And over the years, I ended up having 13 surgeries, three years of chemo, told I would die three times. And wow. it was through those experiences of really the testing of my faith and, and, and quite frankly, well-intended people who really made me ask deep questions at an early age. Like they would come to my hospital room and say, God did this to you for a reason. And at 11, that's hard to process. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, this good God gave me cancer. Or what, you know, and, and it really just plunged me into uh, this journey of asking uh, questions about who God was and who I wanted to be. And quite frankly, I didn't come out of that experience uh, thinking I was going to be a pastor. I actually often tell people that when I was uh, released from chemo, I left that experience loving God and hating church. Um, I was afraid of the church still. I felt as if, um, the people I had seen be most tangible in their support of me were nurses, doctors, uh, motivational speakers, you know, other encouragers, but I hadn't really had, um, the same type of support from the church at that stage in my life. And that just kind of really took me on a beautiful journey. I'm grateful for it now to really ask myself, you know, where is the place of the church and humanitarian work and serving others and being outreach driven. And I saw a beautiful picture of that throughout scripture 
Uh, and I had to learn at an early age to really develop my faith for myself. So that's really, I would say, my starting point. I used to tell people I love to communicate hope. I would talk to newly diagnosed patients as early as 13 and 14 years old. And then that manifested into um, just, you know, a life of just really being motivated by touching others. And um, and that's kind of where the journey began. And, and the only other thing I would say has been funny about becoming a pastor for me is my wife is also... Um, she went to school for accounting and she's an auditor and she's like all corporate. So neither one of us were really on this track. But uh, when we when we knew what God was doing in our life, you know, we're the type of people to just kind of reckless abandonment. You know, what do we need to do to be where God wants us to be? And um, it was an easy decision at that point, but definitely wasn't a clear cut journey. There were so many kind of twists and turns along the path that kind of led us to this reality of this is who we're called to be. So we're excited about it now. And yeah. Uh, get the chance to pastor a church in Richmond, Virginia. Also get an opportunity to serve in several community functions, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, beyond just a religious context and um, particularly around community outreach and uh, diversity initiatives. And so I'm excited about about that that ability to do those things. Yeah, that's amazing. I I love that. Um, like I love and hate too that that it was like I love God but hate the church kind of thing. That that was. That was your experience. But I, when I, um, so I went through a divorce when my daughter was one and I actually kind of came out of, out of my divorce and really feeling kind of a, a similar way of the most encouraging people that really came alongside of me and loved me exactly where I was they weren't Christians. Yeah. And, um, and I really, I, I found that to be so interesting and, um, and it taught me a lot about, a lot about church and how, how can I be a part of the church to help create a little bit of, of change there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so interesting. Uh, and you planted the church, right? Yeah. So we church planted in July of 2015. So we're about four and a half years old, or actually a little bit more than that. Now we turned five, the second Sunday in July. Um, oh, it has been a roller coaster. You know, my wife and I both grew up in small country churches, um, you know, a hundred people at most on Easter. And it was like, oh my God, there's so many people here. And I had a privilege of you pastoring for a while. A church was about two or 300 members. So um, when our church, you know, planted um, and began to grow, I mean, right now we're averaging a little bit over a, a thousand people um, in our weekend experiences in just four and a half years. And um, it's been a roller coaster, but we've been having a blast with our hands up, um, just taking the ride and really trusting God along the journey. And we often tell our congregation, the largest church we've ever been a part of is the one we're leading. So we're just mm. uh, <laughs> praying yeah. toward it well and enjoying. And, and I also enjoyed um, the beautiful opportunities God has given us to cultivate diversity in our city with, through our church and um, and not just diversity uh, ethnically, but also generationally. You know, I think we live in a time where there's old churches and young churches and traditional churches and contemporary churches, but um, we we have every generation represented. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of. So it's been a fun journey thus far. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, my church is a change church in uh, New Jersey area, very multi-generational as well. And and I I think mentorship and and guidance is really missing right now. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and when you have churches that are, you know, super young or, or older, or I think you're missing that element of learning from your elders. 
you know? Absolutely. So, okay. Love that. Um, well, actually, real quick question. Do you have any mentors or, or other like pastors or leaders that you really look up to? Well, your pastor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I really want him to be my mentor. No, I actually, um, I, I, you know, he is like an external mentor, but Dr. Darius Daniels to me is the um, one of the greatest representations of leadership right now in our country. Yeah. And yeah. I don't say that haphazardly. I really do mean it. Uh, I've DM'd him before. I don't know tell anybody, but uh, but I have definitely DM'd him before. I know he's super busy, so I'm going to DM again after this and believe in faith that he's going to he's going to get it. <laughs> but um, so, uh, but but no, I do have a couple mentors. Uh, Dr. John Chandler is the first one that comes to mind, and um, he's one of my mentors. He is uh, the creator of Uptick Leadership Network and. Um, just a national initiative to develop young leaders. And, and I'm one of those people who've been the beneficiary of his wisdom. Also, um, you know, I have, of course, local mentors as well um, mm-hmm. who mentor us in marriage and mentor me in just financial health yeah. and, and wisdom. So, but uh, but definitely, you know, Dr. John Chandler and Bishop Courtney McBeth, Calvary Revival Church uh, in Norfolk, Virginia as well. So, um, so it's been, again, a fun journey and and, and they, they pour into me regularly. I am because they are, and mm-hmm. uh, stand on their shoulders and really just excited about the opportunity to learn. I think that's probably one of the biggest things I would say to anybody. Um, you know, some people say, well, you know, the church grew fast or this happened or that happened. And I always yeah. say, man, we, I am a religious learner and I, I will pursue learning at all costs. I have driven to eight, eight, nine hours away just to sit with somebody for a dinner. Um, yes. I believe strongly in uh, maximizing every opportunity to listen and learn. So definitely. Yeah. Leaders are learners. And um, I think that I, I, I love being a post being in the posture of a student. Mm. Uh, and I think that that's just a really important part of life and just, and growing and, and leading people really well. Um, so I can tell, I can tell that you're a learner and a, and a student. That's really cool. So one of the reasons why too, like I was drawn to reach out to you was, as I've been very vocal about Ahmad Arbery's murder, and um, I've had several of my friends, like my white friends, reach out, and and one friend said, "Do you feel uncomfortable speaking out about his murder, like considering that you're white?" And I just said, "I actually feel like it would be uncomfortable for me not to talk about it." Mm-hmm. And I think being quiet or being silent is actually a huge part of of the problem. And I mean, I really value diversity and it's something that I actively seek. And I've been blessed to have a lot of friends who have given me like a safe place to ask questions and to have conversations. And, um, and I've tried to like, I'm, and I'm not like the perfect person by any means. Um, but I, I believe taking the time to really see things from a new point of view, um, or be willing to have conversations, be willing to not know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and being able to put yourself in that place is really important. So as I've had people that have reached out to me and said, like, how can I, as a white person, like, what can I even do about it? And so I thought being here at the table is like the perfect place for, for this conversation. And one of the things that Pastor Darius, I think it was Pastor Darius said this, um, that if you lack understanding, you lack compassion. Mm. And so with this space and this conversation, I would just love to help people see how 
learning about someone's perspective can lead to a new understanding, which can then lead to new levels of, of compassion. Um, so I just would really love to actually what something you said yesterday on your IGTV, you said you wanted to caution us to not become a victim of two things, ambiguity and accountability. Can you talk about what you mean by that? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things I'll say just to kind of lead into that thought is because you said something so profound and, and vital to this conversation, which is when you lack understanding, you lack compassion. One of the things I like to say when I'm having this conversation is competency um, can lead you to, you know, contemplation. So I can become mm-hmm. more competent about an issue and that can contemplate like, OK, so. Well, let me look at that and let me be curious about that. But it's only when you care that you're prompted to move towards change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times we're like moved enough, like to gain some competency to make us contemplate some things like, oh, yeah, wow, yeah maybe. Oh, that's mm, that's interesting. But, yeah. but it's not until we move to a place of true, genuine care that mm-hmm. we can actually be really advocates and promoters of change. And and yeah. the ambiguity and accountability piece really just deals with like, you know, in situations like these, and, and look, this is an issue, not just for white people, but black people alike and, and Hispanic people and all people, human people, yeah. right? We love catchphrases like be the change and let's be the change and this must right. happen. We can do this, but that ambiguity doesn't serve like, you know, it almost becomes overwhelming, right? Mm. Because it's like, well, where do I start? And right. I think that that ambiguity needs definition. I think we have to challenge ourselves to say, all right, I want to change this. Well, let's define what this is I want to change. I want to I want to change something about the justice system. I just don't think that the justice system is equal or it has equitable circumstances or I don't believe that uh, a diversity is effectively represented in the school system that I'm in and we don't have enough teachers that are diverse. So now that I know what I want to change, like now I can know how to navigate that change. And then, as you mentioned, be accountable to it, because um, if our language doesn't turn into lifestyle, right, then there is really no change that is possible. And that happens in every area of our life. In a relationship, I can say I love you. But if that language doesn't turn into a lifestyle, you know, eventually you must leave. Um, I think that the same thing, you know. Uh, has to happen in situations like these is we have to be very mindful to uh, to to one define kind of what we want to be a part of. And I'm not saying you have to bite off more than you can chew. Like if you're listening to this, I'm not saying I want to change, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this major infrastructure of the prison system. I mean, your, 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 your simple thought could be, um, I want to be less ambiguous. What I want to change right now in my life is I just want to build over the next year um, a greater, more robust, diverse friendship circle. And yeah. I'm going to be intentional about that. And then how do you make that known to someone so they can, in two months, if you haven't made any steps towards that, right, they mm-hmm. can hold you accountable or that you can walk alongside that journey, find another friend who says, yeah, I've been feeling that way as well. Let's do mm-hmm. it together. So um, that those are just kind of, you know, some of the things I think at a practical level that we got to be mindful of. Yeah, for sure. I love, I think accountability is such a, I mean, really to any change in your life, I mean, it could be exercise, <laughs> like yeah. anything. Accountability is such a, is such an important part. And there was something you said in the IGTV where you're like, you know, um, like who's going to follow up with us when, when a mod's like murder isn't 
like quote unquote, a hot topic on the news or talked about as much on IG, like who's going to follow up with us in that. I just thought that was such a great, a great thought. Um, And also I liked what you said too, of it doesn't have to be this big, huge thing. It can start really small because big change is one tiny little layer of change on top of, on top of one another. Well, I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it, oftentimes I think what becomes overwhelming is we try to, you know, eat the whole thing instead of just saying, let me take a small bite. Yeah. And, and it could feel like if, if you're black, you can feel fatigued. Like, it's like, well, I just, it's too much, you know, I'm just going to focus on my family and, and my personal success. If you're white, you could feel like, I don't know where to start. And this is going to be awkward and uncomfortable and they'll figure it out. You know, and everybody kind of, resolves that it'll just figure it itself out. But um, you're right. I mean, it can start with the the simplest of things like relationship and mm-hmm. exposure, right? Like we have an obligation to the next generation. The fact that your daughter is being exposed to diversity, well, she will be a part of a generation that it can be more normative for them than it is for us. Maybe the awkwardness ends generation by generation. And I think those small acts of compassion and next steps are are going to be the key to us actually promoting and producing the type of change, you know, we want to see. And you, and you mentioned, you know, some of my commentary about um, how, you know, I think whenever we start to talk, talk about topics like this, you know, like Amart Arbery will, like one thing we know for sure about media, eventually they'll find a way to bring his character into the conversation. hundred percent. It's inevitable. And Mm -hmm. And the thing I just want to challenge people to think about is when Amar Arbery's case is over or to your to your question, no more, no longer prominent, or when they present something that challenges the simple victim narrative, mm-hmm. does it change the reality of our world? Like, does it, it doesn't change if you don't have any diversity around you. It doesn't change if we still have mm-hmm. systemic injustice, it doesn't change that two thirds of the prison system are made up of black and brown people. Like, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, it doesn't change that we really need to work together to build a country of unity. So I just mm-hmm. encourage all of us to just be vigilant about maintaining again, the accountability of our hearts posture, yeah. even when one case is, is not the sole storyline of what we're trying to accomplish. Right. Right. And I, I think that, conversation and healthy conversations are, are a part of how you can begin that. And I know like a few of of my friends that kind of reached out to me and just said why they don't want to speak out about it is, um, they're kind of like afraid to say the wrong thing or, uh, just to, what if I come off the, the wrong way? And so like, what do you think are some of the key components to just having, being able to have healthy conversations? It's a great, great question. Um, I think the starting point, and I think you alluded to this a little bit earlier, is the conversation doesn't always have to start at race. Mm, um, yeah. And so I think like the conversation can start at life and common ground. And a lot of people say, well, where do I start and who do I talk to? I even had a friend ask me, well, do I just go find a black friend? Like, you know, um, and so what I say is, you know, look for the opportunities that are already, you know, existing around you, a coworker, a classmate. Um, Mm -hmm. someone who goes to your church, you know, and the conversation doesn't have to be, Hey, can we grab coffee to talk about race? You know, like, (laughs) well, can we grab coffee to talk about like kids and family and, 
and school system. And I mean, I care about my kid going to college. You care about your kid going to college? You saving for college yet? I don't know. I'm trying to save money just to like, you know, like these types of things are common ground and sports, you know, music, media. So I think we can talk first and build relationship. And then when relationship built, trust is built. And then when trust is built, now we can have some of the deeper conversations. And I'm not saying that you know, for everybody that's different, for some people, it'll come up in a month. Some people it'll come up in a day, you know, depends on who you're talking to. For me, I tend to to kind of navigate it sooner in conversations, but other people might take you time. But I think you got to start there to have a healthy conversation, build quality, common ground relationship. Don't feel the pressure to only discuss race. Um, the other thing I just say is uh, be OK acknowledging awareness. Mm-hmm. Acknowledging awareness is not the same thing as acknowledging understanding. Um, mm. I think that a lot of times the pressure is, well, I don't understand, or I don't know what it's like to be a black American because I don't, maybe I'm gonna say the wrong thing, or you know, and, and I, I had the luxury of growing up in a very diverse home and um my parents separated several times before divorce, but we always would stay with my grandmother and grandfather. My grandfather was a white man who met my black grandmother. The first year it was legal for interracial marriage in the state of Virginia. Um, They went through a considerable amount of aggression and being ostracized and abuse in their community and abroad. And but growing up, you know, my my grandmother already had three black children, my mother, which was the oldest. And they had two children together. My two mom's youngest siblings were mixed. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was five of them with two mixed aunts and uncles. And then one of my uncles married a woman from Puerto Rico and another one married a woman from Sierra Leone, West Africa. So Mm -hmm. I like to tell people one Thanksgiving was always confusing. (laughs) <laughs> it was like the only thing we all agreed on was chicken every culture had chicken in it um but then also we had this luxury of being able to value culture and yeah. i think that we didn't always and here's the key here we didn't always understand i didn't understand why my west african aunt would approach things the way she did or my puerto rican aunt would do things the way she did but I could acknowledge like if something was offensive or if something was wrong, I could acknowledge awareness. I think mm-hmm. what a lot of people want to hear and see, and I encourage people to share posts, is just I see it. Like yeah. I don't know what to do about it, but I want to stand up and take a position that I can see something is not right here. You know? Yes. And uh and so that is a, a major piece. And then the last thing I'll say, uh long-winded preacher status. Um, but um <laughs> So, you know, acknowledging awareness, I think I talked about where you start the relationship at, relational equity. The last thing I say about creating healthy conversations is they have to be um, completely vulnerable at some point. Like you have to, to and vulnerability is earned. Mm, Make no yeah. mistake about it. Like um, my my former pastor where I youth pastored at for five years was a psychologist and he was the vice president of the psychology department um, at one point at our university, local university. And he used to teach us about in pastoring how, you know, you know, the, the key to really good conversation is whatever people give you value it. Wow. And so he would say, if somebody gives you a piece of paper and they, they do it to see how you handle it and you rip it up and throw it in their face, then they'll never give you the iPhone, right? Because that's mm-hmm. more valuable because they say you won't take care of it. And I think it's the same thing with emotions. If I give you a piece of my heart or a piece of my experience and you're dismissive or I can't be really vulnerable or you're judgmental to it or you're dismissive, then I won't give you the deeper hurts and the deeper trauma. Um, 
And so I think vulnerability is earned by just how we honor every encounter. Um, it builds trust for future dialogue. Mm, that is so good. That is so, so good. I'm going to, I can't wait to re-listen to this and take some notes here. Um, so good. So how have you experienced racism, like being black in America today? Like, do you have any stories that you can kind of share to give a little insight from your shoes or from your perspective? Absolutely. I'll give you, um, you know, a few really quick ones and uh, Mm -hmm. three points, I guess, for my sermon here. Um, (laughs) But I can remember one uh, one incident where I was sitting in my car. My wife and I had just had a uh, debate, a heated debate. Uh, some people call those arguments. And <laughs> I was sitting out front of the house and in my car, unmoving. So there was no potential for any type of traffic violation. And mm-hmm. a police officer pulls by me, completely makes a U-turn, puts a bright light on the car, cuts the lights on and walks up to my car mm-hmm. and says, the first question he asked me, I'll never forget it. What are you doing in front of this house? And mm. I'm sitting there like, well, uh, you know, like it, it almost was a question I wasn't prepared for. Yeah, so I'm like, well, I, I, you mean my house? You mean like, you know, I, I own it. Um, and he proceeded to go through conversation with me. He was like, well, can you, can you provide me with the utility bill to prove that? What? And I was like, well, who, I mean, I didn't think it was general practice to walk around with a utility bill. Like, you know, like (laughs) white or indifferent, like who does that? Um, (laughs) And then the conversation continued until I had to prove to him I lived there by walking up to my very own door, putting my key in the door, showing that I had access to the home. Um, Now, talking to a, a, a you know, sergeant in that particular police department who was a member of my church at the time, he said one of two reasons that happened. Either he he saw you as suspicious or somebody in the neighborhood called him because they saw you as suspicious. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, no, make no mistake about it. Like me being in a neighborhood that I, I own a home in, yeah. those moments feel like I don't belong. Um, right. Another story that I told that uh, many people share was was, I think, eye-opening for them is my daughter. My daughter started kindergarten this past year and Mm -hmm. we just moved out into a new neighborhood in July. And I got to say, you know, as a minority in in America, sometimes accomplishment always feels like compromise. Um, So if we move into a great neighborhood because we just want a backyard, our first home didn't have a backyard. And we're like, well, we just want a backyard for our kids. And it's not a massive house by any means. But, Mm -hmm. you know, my wife has been in corporate America for a decade and you know, the church is done with like, you know, this is a place where our kids can be for the next 20 years and so forth and so on. Well, our daughter starts kindergarten in this neighborhood. We get to the bus stop the first day. She's the only child of color at the bus stop. And it's like, okay, you know, that's fine. I mean, we're, we're, we value diversity. Uh, we're happy to be a part of the neighborhood. Within the first week, I think it was the third day, we get a call that uh, the, the, the principal, I never forget her word, said, Mr. and Mrs. Gordon, we don't want to alarm you. But your daughter's in the nurse's office with ice around her neck and handprints around her neck. She'd been choked by one of her fellow students. Oh and we were, I don't want to alarm you, but like what? Yeah, right. So, and I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I, I almost retired from pastoring that day. I almost I almost applied for a job at Change Church. I was like, they got to have something for me to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, 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 you know, the, the, 
what the result of that was, was it was a traumatic experience for my daughter. Her first experience being kind of away from us three days later resulted in this attack, you know, this sense of um, aggression against her because of the color of her skin. She's one of only two black kids in her class. Um, mm-hmm. You know, then, up, and so we had to go through several conversations with the teacher about, you know, building her comfort to get away from the teacher's side. Then she gets off the bus a few months later she has beads in her hand that were on her hair. And when she communicates to my wife and I how they got there, she says, yeah, the, this other, a different child and, and little girl, yeah, they choked me and they pulled my hair. And when we asked why did they do it, she said, they said, because I look different. Now, this be one thing if we heard the story of a five-year-old and we was like, okay, well, maybe she's, you know, piecing or heard it differently, but Right. The bus driver confirmed the legitimacy of the, the situation and verified the accounts and apologized to us personally. So it is, you know, a confirmed incident that our child was attacked because of her color. And it just, you know, I just believe that five and six year olds don't don't do that without some measure of exposure. A hundred percent. Yeah. Somewhere, you know, and so. Yeah. Uh, those have been some of our experiences. And I'll tell you this last one really quickly. You know, um, even as a pastor, I've experienced statements like, you know, like, you know, from a white couple who was a part of our congregation who loved it. They're like, oh, my God, we love your preaching. We we love your singing. But you could never be our pastor. And you could never marry us, you know, because of, you know, your ethnicity. And they told me that. And I, I, I borderline don't know whether I really respect their boldness or whether yeah. they <laughs> But, but, you know, but it just raises awareness that I'm sure for, for the one person couple who did tell me there have to be maybe 40 who've come to our church who wouldn't. And, um, and so that's the, the, the frustration and the the fatigue and the concern. And while I, I sustain hope, um, I, I have very much experienced the perpetuated theme of, you know, uh, racism, privilege, and discrimination. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's unfortunate, uh, but I do know by the grace of God, I've had some some very healthy exposures throughout my life. One of the mentors I just mentioned was a white man. And man, you know, he's like, you know, I mean, just, you know, a, a great figure in my life. And my grandfather, as I mentioned, both of them were influential in reminding me that, you know, the experience of one is not the ex- the expression of all. Um wow but definitely uh, been been something that we've had to navigate in our life for sure. Yeah. And I, I think it's so important to hear stories like that because I just think it makes it so real. And I'm, I've heard this so many times that um, racism is, is caught, you know, like with kids, it's not, it's not what's taught. It's what's caught. You know, you can, you can tell your kids like, don't gossip and be kind to people. But if, if that's what you do as a mother or father, um, that's what they're going to catch. And so I've heard it said before, you know, that like racism is, is caught. And, um, but like, how do you, how do you have hope? Like in those moments, I feel like I'm trying to put myself in, in your, like, as a, as a parent, like, how do you remain hopeful? (laughs) Well, you know, I think part of it starts with, I mean, I, I can't, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say part of it is a theological conviction, right? So for me, mm-hmm. 
one of the core tenets of faith is unity. I mean, you can't read the book of Ephesians or the New Testament without seeing a perpetuated theme of remain united. Yes. And I just believe that that's not united with people who just look like you. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's vitally important that we don't run the risk of creating a, a, a theology of comfort. Like the mm-hmm. idea is Jesus said, carry crosses and, you know, yeah. and rejoice in persecution and rejoice in tribulations and trials and James, because, you know, that endurance is going to produce completeness and wholeness. I, I just can't integrally stand by that mm-hmm. and not try to live it. Now, yeah. it doesn't mean I'm not cautious. It doesn't mean I'm not. I think that's the difference, right? It doesn't mean I'm not mindful of who my kids interact with in the neighborhood. Um, yeah. Am I probably asking two or three more questions than the other parents? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. my, my, my questionnaire is probably two pages and theirs is only one, you know? Um mm-hmm. You know, I, I am absolutely, you know, walking around my neighborhood and being conscious of the fact that, you know, I want to make sure people know I belong here. I'm waving when I run, not just because I want to wave, but in part because I want to know, hey, I'm the guy who lives three doors down, <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think there comes a cultural awareness for many people of color. Like, you know, it, it's unfortunate. You got to think a little bit more sometimes in, in our context and, yeah. Um, and I would be lying to you if I didn't say like we weren't discouraged. I mean, yeah, it took us a few days to get our bearings and, and yeah. we probably were, I mean, we, I think I said in the video, we went through like a two week conversation of like, she's never riding the bus again. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. don't worry about it. We'll just take our black daughter to school and she won't interact with anybody, you know, but yeah, you overcome it and you, you do that. I think it starts with my faith. And then I think, I mean, my other major motivation is I just feel like my grandfather who was white endured and mm-hmm. my mother was the beneficiary of his love and yeah. care and my grandmother and my family and myself um and it wasn't easy for him but he didn't just abandon because it was difficult and he was called names and had to fight in the mm-hmm. front yard and you know my other grandfather was the first african-american colonel and you know Hampton Road police department and um ironically enough law enforcement just <laughs> gave his life to law enforcement but he was spit on, he was beat up, but he did it. He endured because he wanted to see a better country for his grandkids. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I just think that one of the challenges of our culture is we we tend to err on the side of comfort and convenience. Yes. And my conviction is just if I really want better for my children and, and my church and our communities, um, somebody has to stay stay in the fight. Um, more cautious, you know, you know, longer questionnaire, being mindful, not being naive, but also, uh, remaining hopeful that we can be a part of the change that we want to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I think God, I mean, he calls us to that. We were created for community. I mean, God is a relational God being, when you look at the Trinity, um, but but yeah, and he created us to to be different and to and to look different. And there was something that Pastor uh, Darius posted the other day. I think it was an IGTV, and it was like, "This is a gospel issue." You know, if you, um, if the if the Jesus in your head is different than the Jesus in the Bible, then you know that that's a gospel 
issue, you know, and if it causes anything but unity, like it's a gospel issue. And so like learning to just to be more of like the hands and feet of Jesus. And the more that I read the Bible, um, I feel like just naturally the more compassion I have for people and even more compassion I have for myself because I begin to really see God or see myself the way that God does and see people the way that, that God does. And so even just by like living, living that out and being more like, like Christ, I think is a a beginning of initiation of, of some change. And, and if I may, you know, even speak to that, I mean, I think you, Living that peace out, right, is many times I think the temptation is for us to try to be either or or both and, mm. um, instead of both and. So, you know, either or, what I mean is we love the Jesus. Like, so here's the conversation I hear often. If I love Jesus and I want to live like Jesus, which is the whole idea of being a Christian, <laughs> then, <Yeah. laughs> right, like which which part of Jesus though, right? Like, because Jesus, if you talk to a, uh, an, a, you know, and I, I don't even know if this is considered radical, but for the for lack of better words, let's say there are extremes. And so let's say you have an extreme on one side and it's a black person who's over it and doesn't want to pursue reconciliation. And their big idea is, well, Jesus flipped over tables, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, Jesus yeah. The people in the temple and Jesus did this. I want to be that Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the other extreme, you know, here's a lot of thing out here from like my white friends who are pastors and we have really candid and heartfelt conversation. Like, well, I just want to know, like, when does forgiveness take place? Like, what about forgiveness and turn the other cheek? Like Jesus advocates for that. And so they don't want to pay attention to like the Jesus who flips over the tables yeah. or the Jesus who shows up at a woman caught in the midst of adultery and stands with her in the middle of a trial to yeah. be her advocate. Right. That's a legal proceeding, you know, um, yeah. but then like the, 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 the people on the other side don't want to be the Jesus who's like, okay, sometimes it's time for me to speak up. But then also when it's time for me to carry my cross, I choose not to speak and I choose to be persecuted for the behalf of a bigger, bigger purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're not doing either or like Jesus does both and. Yes. And so I think that we all, if we want to be gospel centric and, Jesus oriented in our lives, like mm-hmm. got to pursue the both and like there are times to be vocal yes. and then to be frustrated and have righteous indignation. And then there are times to be like, be patient and to not always be angry, but to say, give grace. Like, Hey, you mm-hmm. said the wrong thing, but guess what? Like, I want to talk again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think yeah. we got to be both and if we want to be integral to the Jesus we see in the scripture. How do you know when to be one or the other? You know, that's a phenomenal question. I, I think I wish I could give you a better answer than the one I'm about to give you, um, <laughs> because I think people would say, well, give me the checklist. <laughs> like, I, don't know, I don't know if there's a checklist, but I think there are two things you can always do. One, I think the Bible talks about in James, be, um, and, I'm, and, and, you know, and here's what's funny, little, little known fact, as much as I'm a pastor, I mess up quotes in scriptures all the time. Like, <laughs> my staff knows. I'll be like, it kind of says this. I'm probably mixing it up a little bit. But- <laughs> Um, in James, it talks about be slow to speak, right? Uh, yeah. Slow to be angry and quick to listen, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing we got to do is pause and pray, right? Yes. I think a lot of times we respond first out of emotion, out of anger. So I think if we want to figure out which one to be in a moment, we can't let our emotions be the only guy. Right. We can't let our timelines be the only guy. 
Yeah. Uh, we can't let just our immediate circles and communities be our only God. But we got to mm-hmm. say, okay, I got to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry, um, yeah. and, and pause and pray and process first. And then the second thing I think, so pause, pray, process is my first suggestion. The second thing I would say is then I think we have to uh, uh, like ask ourselves what contribution adds the most value to the present circumstance. That's so good. So what what is needed from me right now? And mm-hmm. and I think we have to do that from a sober-minded place. And I think um, that requires just, again, a certain patience with ourselves um, that allows us to seek alignment. You know, like, what? how do I align my life in this next moment to be what Jesus needs me to be for this moment? You know, uh, sometimes Paul is escaping from prison and sometimes Paul is sitting still in prison. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Yeah. Now, how do I be aligned with what you're trying to get out of me right now? And I think that has to be kind of probably a case to case basis. But those are kind of two of the ways I would approach it. Yeah, I love that. So one of the biggest questions I actually have it um, in multiple places in my house, but like one in my office I'm looking at right now is I always ask like, God, what are you doing and how can I align it with you? Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, and asking him that question, it always it always just brings me kind of back to what are you doing? And am I, am I in check? Like I'm kind of checking, checking myself, myself. And one thing too, um, I've heard this said multiple times, like you can't argue with someone and educate them at the same time. Mm. Yeah. You know, so like what, what's the goal in the conversation? If it's to educate, you know, we need to make sure that we're not arguing. So so good. Um, so what, what now? Like, what are some of the things that I, I feel like we touched a lot on some of the things that you mentioned in your what now about your IGTV yesterday, but anything else that, um, that you can add to like, what now? Man, well, I, you know, I think there are, are I'm sure this list is not exhaustive. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, and, and there are so many other great contributors to Kind of what we can be doing to navigate this as a country. People have been doing it for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, but but here are probably four to five really quick things you can do if you just say, "Hey, I just want to look through this." Not to say you have to check every box, but just say, "Okay, these are some ideas." Yeah. Um, I think you know, one, all of us can choose black, white, Hispanic, Asian. It doesn't matter what your ethnic group to convene outside of your comfort zone. I think the the long term impact uh, that we want to have is really truly not even in our generation's hands. I think it's in our kids' generation's hands. And I think we have to start developing a community and a culture where they they see it as normal to convene in spaces of diversity and see different cultures and hear different stories and experience the world in new lenses. So Mm -hmm. I think that takes intentionality, right? Like once a month, we're going to you know, have a, 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 you know, a dinner at the house, or we're going to do this, or we're going to foster these community building initiatives. So convene outside of comfort zone. Um, The second thing I would just say is everybody can vote. Like I've been talking about this and this is a challenge to everybody and, and, and not just vote nationally. I mean, part of the systemic things that we're talking about, these are not just anecdotal, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, realities, but uh, they are, um, systemic and our local government and our local sheriffs and our local law enforcement all play a part in us. You know, they should serve the people, <laughs> yeah. you know, so we got to vote yeah. for those things. Um, 
everybody can pray. I mean, I'm going to, you know, just highlight that. I think we all have to be prayerful. And I think prayer should always produce action, right? Even if the action is waiting in patience, but, but, but prayer should always produce action. And I think a lot of us, again, tend to look at situations like race and injustice and unity and these efforts. And we tend to continuously promote our preferences but I think yeah. when you pray, it's really hard to have a real prayer life, in my opinion, and God not challenge your preferences at some point. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's a big piece. Um, what else? A couple others really quickly. Uh, just make the ask. You know, like I call it the ask. Ask somebody, you know, hey, um, can we grab coffee? Can we grab lunch? It can be that yeah. simple first step. Like I'm going to foster a conversation that may not, to, to our earlier point, start with race. But can yeah. definitely start to build a relationship um, that can build for a more promising future um, and then seek alignment, like take inventory of our life. And that's not just that's white and black alike. And again, all the other ethnic groups that are represented in the world, we just tend to talk about white and black the most. Yeah. But um, I think we all need to look at our lives and say, if a picture of heaven looks like valuing everybody, mm-hmm. how does my life align with that picture? And yeah. I think that's a simple practice. That's not like amb- ambiguity. That's like sit down, write down on a piece of paper. If I look at the people on my phone, I look at the people I spend the most time with. If I look at the people on my timeline, what do I see? Um, yeah. I was I was really blessed the other day to just, you know, my wife and I um, have started to foster relationships with different diversity, couples of diversity. Uh, mm-hmm. For us, of course, that's the opposite end. And to see our kids get excited about seeing people from different colors just is a reminder yeah. to us that we're making that difference for the future. So. Yeah, I was just I was just going to say it there. It kind of prompted me to remember this one moment where Malin was, my daughter was really little and um, my gym has like, you know, kids, kids care area. And she was in and, 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 and like I said, like a, a while ago, like my, I didn't grow up with a lot of diversity. I didn't have a lot the majority of my life. But I remember this one moment where Malin was in the childcare area. And when I went to pick her up, there was like this beautiful little black girl in, in the room with her. And Malin was so young, but she said, Mommy, my skin is so pretty, Mommy. Mm. And it was just this sweet moment. But it also was like, number one, that that's beautiful. But also, I don't want her to grow up with that being like an anomaly. Mm. And... And so it kind of hit me that I want Malin to grow up with a lot of diversity, that she's like really exposed to a lot of different cultures and the way people think. And, um, you know, that it's important to to be aware and also to really gain understanding. And you can't gain understanding if you're if you're never exposed to anything. Um, But I remember that being like a moment for me of like, that's sweet, but oh, I need to change this. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Mm, wow. So, yeah. Um, is there any, let me ask you this question. What would you like someone to understand? Like if they could only just one takeaway from this conversation, like, do you feel like there's one thing that you would just love someone to walk away from this conversation with? Um, ah, that's so tough. Uh, yeah. I would say if I had to think of one thing, only one, it would be these ex- the experience of uh, different cultures in America is not the same, and it's closer than you think. Mm. Um, I think 
we tend to make these kind of like isolated incidents, which is the real motivation, which which is why I shared my stories. Mm-hmm. It was just to kind of say that's not like the thing that happens in Georgia. Um, you know, it's the thing that happens in Virginia, and it's the thing that yeah. happens in New Jersey, and it's the thing that happens in California. It's the it's the idea that it's not that every incident ends in death. Mm-hmm. That the greatest, and, and, and maybe this is not the right way to say it, but the greatest tragedy is not just that some lives have ended in death, but that the majority of lives are lived in discomfort. Mm, yeah. Or a lack of belonging or, you know. So I think if I had to say one thing, it would just be, you know, uh, every culture has a different lens on America and it's closer than you think. Find out ways to learn and lean into the the, the window and the lens of others. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, that's not to say that, you know, that we all will figure out the answer tomorrow to every problem. Mm-hmm. But if we can learn to value the different cultural experiences and lean into the lens of other people, um, we have a better way to navigate understanding, compassion, and care, and conviction for change. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I feel like um, I want people to kind of take away this from this conversation, just being curious um, and having conversations and really caring, I think are, are three things that you can really do. Um, And just, yeah, being, being willing to, to go there, to be a little uncomfortable or to embrace the awkward ask sometimes like it's okay. Not every thing in life is, is supposed to be comfortable. Like you look at Jesus's life and, there's a lot of hard things. There was a lot of hard conversations that he had, but he was willing to have them. And he was willing to sit at the table with people um, who looked different than him and who acted different than him. Um, and I think he always, he just sat at the table with people and he, he loved and he cared people so, so well. So thank you so much just for, for being willing to come sit at my virtual table here on my little corner of the internet. Um, but where, where can people find you? Where are you mostly? Are you mostly on Instagram or where are you at? Yeah, definitely. So Instagram at Vernon Gordon, just like it's spelled V E R N O N G O R D O N. Also, you can find me on Facebook, same name, Vernon Gordon. A lot of people follow my dad on accident cause I'm a third. So, you know, just make sure I'm a younger version. Um, but yes, on Instagram and Facebook, uh, you can also, uh, find me, um, just, uh, my website, VernonGordon.com. Again, that's www.VernonGordon.com. There's some new things that'll be dropping up there soon. So just really excited about the, you know, the continuous work happening there. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you. This was so awesome. I know I, I definitely learned a lot and I'm totally going to listen back and, and take some notes and I highly recommend your book. I'm excited to myself get it because it it sounds awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm excited about that work. I mean, I wrote it a couple years ago and quite frankly, it, the, the inspiration behind it was, um, I, again, I don't come from a long line of bishops or anything like that. My, yeah. my yeah. I felt like I was having conversations with close friends of mine and frat brothers of mine and family members mm-hmm. of mine. Um, and, and sometimes the language of the church, like the colloquialism was like, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Okay, let's just talk like on a practical level about what it means to build foundational principles of faith and um, really excited to get it into people's hands. So definitely, definitely grab it. Again, it's on Amazon um, as well, or you can click on it at the website, but again, in the beginning. Yeah, I love that. I'm super excited about it. And you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna drop a little something in, in my pastor's ear. There you about, go. Because, uh, you know, I mean, my sister had said, he reminds me of Dr. Darius. And so that's a, I'm sure that's a compliment because um, I know he's, he's just phenomenal. So I'm excited about your future, Vernon. And I just pray that that God will continue to just strengthen you and, and your family. And um, I believe in what you're doing. I believe in your voice. And I'm just really grateful that you're willing to to take some time today. So thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for having me. I greatly appreciate it and beyond humble praying for you in the continued work that you're doing and looking forward to listening to more conversations at the table um, and just uh, seeing all the work that, that you're doing. Thank you for the, the, the voice that you're having for this conversation. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Vernon. What an incredible time. Uh, And I'm so pumped for people to hear this because I believe that this is just the beginning. This is just a starting place. This is just an opportunity for you to be like, hey, I think I can take some small bite-sized chunks and and move toward change. And what's going to be your right now move? I would love to hear what that would look like for you. And maybe it's just over the next little bit of time, really seeking diversity within your own friend group or maybe a friend group for your kids too and and exposing yourself and exposing your family exposing your kids to different cultures different ways of thinking and and that really allows us to be way more understanding and way more compassionate and that's what I believe we need to do in order to step into change is one little small step at a time And so I hope that you're able to take some of these practical pieces of advice and implement them into your life because knowledge is power, but applied knowledge is powerful. And I want this to be powerful for you and powerful for our, for our world in general. And so when we can all link arms together and just say, Hey, I'm committed right now to a small bit of change. Maybe it's in your thinking, maybe it's in your friend group. Uh, maybe it's in starting a conversation. And again, like Vernon said, you don't have to start the conversation with race. So let me know what you thought about today's uh, episode. I want to hear from you. That is one of the most exciting things for me. So if there was something that you loved, feel free to, to screen record it and share it on your story or screenshot it and share it on your story. This message is not meant to stay right here. It is meant to go somewhere. It's meant to um, reach a lot of people to help. And so I would love for you to be a part of that with me. The other thing that helps push the podcast forward is every download. Every download and subscribe really helps. The podcast is all about how many downloads you get and that's what pushes you forward. So everyone means the absolute world to me. Excited to see you at the table next time.